Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. And uh, to those still watching from home, good morning to you as well. The title of my message today is Clearing the Way. Clearing the Way. And I thank um, our brother and elder Bruno for reading the passage. Um, let me start by saying this. There is a pathway to God which proceeds through but one road, and the road is Jesus Christ. One road. It's a straight and narrow road, but it leads clearly and securely to one destination, which is God. And yet, for many people, you may know, or maybe even um, some of us here today, that road can get greatly obscured Because along the way in your life, people have come and planted thick bushes and and towering trees, and they've laid these heavy rocks hindering you from following the road that is Christ. What do I mean? These obstacles could be rituals. Rituals that someone once told you, you must follow this ritual in order to get to God. That's one kind of obstacle. Another kind of obstacle is when someone came to you and said, you have to somehow change who you are. You have to become someone different if you want God to accept you. I'm getting some nods, so that means we've heard some of these things before, right? That's another obstacle. The third obstacle I want to to mention is when other people came along and they actually threatened you. They threatened you with the idea that you must obey God's laws, all of God's laws, His rules, if you have any hope of reaching Him. We've all heard these. And so, like a backpack, I want you to picture this, like a backpack that's getting heavier and heavier and heavier. The journey, the road is becoming harder and harder for us with all these added hurdles, with all these burdens that are on your back. And at some point you may say to yourself, this is exhausting. This is hard. I don't know if I'll make it. And maybe some of you here or some of you watching from home, the truth is you've already given up. The obstacles are too much. I can't get around it. I can't get over it. It's too much. And so you've had no choice but to abandon the pathway that is Christ. And so my prayer today, church, and my prayer this whole week as I've been preparing is this, that God would remove the bushes and he would cut down the trees and he would lift the heavy rocks So that you can once again see the unobstructed path that God has laid for us, which is Jesus Christ, His Son, Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is doing in our text this morning. 
as he writes to this little church in Colossae. And I'm going to ask my uh, brother Andrew to bring up the, the, the overview, the slide. I see at least four things that um, Paul is, is showing us in this passage, these four verses. The first is that rituals cannot save you. Like, just like any other obstacle in the road, rituals cannot save you. The second is that you cannot save you. You yourself, you cannot save yourself. The third is that the law cannot save you. An attitude that I can follow the law and get to God, that can't save you. But only Christ can save you. Only Christ is the way to God. There is no other way. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I already know this. Is anyone think? Don't raise your hand. Is anyone thinking? I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for many years. I already know this. This must be for the non-believers, right? This must be for someone out there watching. And yet, and I have to be honest. As I began to study this passage, I thought the same thing. And then I realized that Paul is not writing this letter to unbelievers. He's writing it to who? To Christians like you and me. Which tells you something. It tells you that um, the truth is each one of us have cluttered our pathway to God. Whether it's with rituals we think can save us or, or with this self-attitude or this belief that I can change myself, I can get there. Or a legalistic attitude that I can do the right things and God will accept me. We, 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 we have this. We have these obstacles cluttering our path. And so my question for you as we begin this, this message is, how cluttered is your path to God? This is a different question, for, a different answer for each one of, one of us, right? How cluttered have you made your path to God? How heavy is the weight that you have put on your back? Because like a breath of fresh air, that's how it felt to me this week as I was digging into this passage. It was like a breath of fresh air, I tell you the truth. I want you to know that Christ is the only road to God. He is the only path you need to get to God. So clear the obstacles. Clear the way. For he can only save you. Okay, so let's set the scene. Um, last Sunday, Pastor Ronald was preaching in the verses just prior to our text, up to verse 10. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to chapter 2 and verse 8, please, for a moment. Chapter 2 and verse 8. You're going to need to see this for yourself. Paul begins this whole section and see what he says. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. This is the, 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 the verse that begins this whole section, which includes verses 11 to 15. He starts by saying, see to it that no one takes you captive, which tells us what? There's a possibility that we could be taken captive by some sort of false teachings, some sort of philosophy from the world, some sort of human traditions, which can, they're like traps. Okay, remember that road to God, there are these traps along the way that Paul is, is trying to prevent the Colossians from falling into those traps. And he's repeatedly calling the Colossians to come back to the road. Stay on this road. Don't go to the left or to the right. And I want you to see this. The road is Christ. Look at verse chapter 2. Starting in verse 1 and going all the way to verse 10, 
tell me how many times do you see the expression in Christ? Okay, look at your Bibles. Or in Him. See how many times. Look at verse 3. He says, in Christ is all wisdom and knowledge. All wisdom and knowledge is found where? In Christ. There's one. Verse 5. Their firm faith was in Christ. That's where they placed their faith. That's two. Look at verse 6. He urges the Colossians, walk in Him or in Christ. If you're going to walk this road, you're walking in Christ. Verse 7. Be rooted and built up in what? In Christ. If you want to be built up, you're not going to be built up by external sources. It is Christ again. Verse 9. For in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells. Don't look for God somewhere else. The fullness of deity dwells in Christ. And then verse 10, you have been filled in Him, in Christ. You are complete in Christ. You are complete in Christ. There's no mistaking this church. There's no, he's, not, he's not mincing his words. The road to God is Christ Jesus alone. He is the way. He is the path. And so as we come to our text, verse, starting in verse 11, Paul is continuing to clear the path of all these obstacles. And the first obstacle that he has to address is rituals. Okay? Rituals. So let's look at verse 11. Here's what he says. He says, In him, or in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Okay, so the first thing we need to look at is circumcision. If you're wondering, um, uh, just as, a, as an aside, at SCF, why do we preach through um, books of the Bible verse by verse instead of doing our favorite topics uh, every Sunday? This is why, okay, because we would never get to circumcision, right? Circumcision doesn't make the top 10 list of sermon topics, does it? No, right? So in order for us to preach the whole counsel of God, we go through the Bible verse by verse. So that brings us to circumcision. So what is this? obstacle, right, on the path to God. Why is it an obstacle? Well, in the Old Testament, God um, made a covenant with the people of Israel, and their representative was Abraham. And in that covenant, God was going to be their God, and the people of Israel were going to be his people. And through them, God was going to come in the form of man, in the form of Christ, in order to be a blessing to the whole world right, in order to bring salvation to everyone. And the sign that set the people of Israel apart from every other nation, all the other pagan nations who worshipped all kinds of other gods and deities, the sign was the sign of circumcision, where um, every male from infancy would have their foreskin removed. It was a surgical procedure that was done in order to, set, to, to, to represent them being set apart from the rest of the world. But circumcision was a very divisive issue. That's the Old Testament, right? But now when we come to the early church, circumcision was a very divisive issue. Okay? And if you want to know more, come to the Acts Bible Study. That's another plug for Acts Bible Study. Okay? If you're not coming, please come. Okay? I don't know how many times to... No. <laughs> um, we're going we're gonna to cover it. But, but just in essence, here's what the issue is. When non-Jews joined the church, the Jewish Christians who had been circumcised 
were insisting to them, uh-uh, faith in Christ is not enough. The, the road you're on, that's not all you need. They plant this bush and they say, no, no, you need to be circumcised in order to be part of the church. That's what they were doing. They were putting this block, this, this barrier, this obstacle, when, when is that really what God intended? Right? Is that really what God intended? I want you to look at this passage with me, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, all the way back in, in, in the Old Testament, in the first five books, Moses gives us the answer. What did God intend by this sign of circumcision? Look at this. He says, and the Lord, Moses says, and the Lord your God will do what? Will circumcise your, not foreskin, what? Your heart. Do you see? That, that's what circumcision was about. You will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. Why? What's going to happen if you circumcise? So that you will have love. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. And what's the outcome of loving God? That you may have life. So do you see, church, that it was not the ritual that saved the people of Israel. It's what that ritual symbolized. It's what it symbolized. It was pointing to God. It didn't matter to God that you, that you use a scalpel to, to, to circumcise the foreskin. He was more concerned with the circumcision that was made without hands. That's what our text says. Which means a circumcision done by who? By God himself. Right? On your heart. Cutting away sin. Giving you a love for him. So that you may have life. That's what mattered most to God. And Paul is telling us back in our passage, um, Andrew, verse 11, he tells us that this circumcision that the Old Testament was, 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 was referring to is actually the true circumcision is done by who? By Christ, by Jesus Christ. Do you see? It's Christ who helps you put off the body of the flesh, which means take your sinful, corrupted, fallen nature, and he's excising it. Right? He's removing that so that you will no longer be a slave to sin. That's what Christ is doing. So you see, it's not the ritual. It's Christ who saves us. Christ, what he does to our hearts. Now, you may be thinking, well, Ian, this doesn't really apply to me, right? Because before this message, I was never even considering getting circumcised, were you? Right? <laughs> For those of you to whom it's relevant. Um, yeah, you, you, you may not think this is relevant, but I want you to see what Paul does in verse 12. Look at your Bibles at verse 12. He connects the old sign of, the old covenant sign of circumcision, now follow this, with what? The new covenant sign, which is what? Which is baptism. That's something you do, you are familiar with, right? It's something we practice even today. We're a Baptist church, aren't we? <laughs> right? He's connecting the, um, that sign with another sign which you may falsely think can save you as well. Just like the Jewish Christians thought circumcision was necessary, right, to get to God, you may think baptism is necessary to get to God. And here's what he says. Look at verse 12. He says, having been buried with him, with who? With Christ, in which you were also raised with him, with Christ, through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. You know, this year we, we got to celebrate um, several baptisms, didn't we? Right? Shanika, you're here. 
And um, we were so, it was such a source of joy, wasn't it? To witness the testimonies of how God has worked in these individuals' lives. But I can tell you something. There, is, there are few things that prompt more discussion and prayer among elders in, a, in any church, not just ours, but in any church, than when we consider a candidate who wants to enter the waters of baptism. Few things warrant more discussion, right? It's a very, very serious thing that we want to make sure they don't have a wrong understanding because the sad truth is, church, and you know this, you, I don't need to tell you this, you know this is the elephant in the room, you know this, that the ritual of baptism can actually become like a towering tree obstructing someone from coming to God, obstructing them. Okay? Now you're like, well, how can that be? It's a step of obedience. Yes, it is a step of obedience. But if you come at it with the wrong understanding, it actually becomes a stumbling block. And I want to tell you why. When people get baptized, not because of a relationship with Jesus, but simply because they think, if I don't get baptized, um, I'm going to go to hell. If that's why they get baptized, or if they get baptized because they think, if I don't get baptized, my family and my, or my parents or my friends are not going to get off my back. If that's why they get baptized, what actually happens is they eventually leave the way of Christ. They leave it altogether. Do you know why they leave it? Because they think, I punched my ticket. Right? I got baptized. I'm going to heaven. Why should I? Cont- I don't need to remain on this difficult path. I can take the easier, broader road. I can go back to my old ways of sin. So what, what, what Paul is telling us here is that just like circumcision, baptism is also a sign. It symbolizes the similar things that circumcision does, that you have been washed of your sins, that God is renewing your heart to, so that you would love him, that you are set apart from the rest of the world, that you are now part of the church. That's what baptism is a sign for. And it's not the water that saves you. Some people think that. Okay, by going into this um, uh, 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 tub, I'm going to leave saved. No. The water is powerless to save you. It's just a ritual. It's what it points to. What saves you? Look at verse 12. What, what, what actually saves you? It is your life being united to who? To? To Christ. That's what saves you. Do you see that in this verse? Look at this. Look at, follow what he's saying. He's saying, um, you are buried with who? With Christ. So Christ in you. You're buried with Christ. And because you are united to Christ, when he is raised, what happens to you? You are also raised to newness of life. So what saved you? Being united to Jesus Christ. So you may not ask me, okay, well, well how, do I, how do I unite myself to Jesus Christ? Is it, is it through baptism? No. What does he say? It's through what? Through faith. <laughs> there, it's right in the text. He says, raised with him through faith, through believing in the, in, in the, in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. It's that faith that unites you to Christ. And baptism symbolizes this union. Does that make sense? Baptism symbolizes the union of you and Jesus Christ. If you've not been baptized, and maybe some of you, you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, I have not been baptized. Um, Here's what I want to tell you. 
please know this. Do not for a moment think that you need to get baptized in order to get to God. Baptism is a step of obedience. I'm not saying no. But do not think that it is the necessary step for you to get to God. Because if you think that way, you are actually putting a dangerous hurdle in front of you on this pathway to God and, um, and realize instead that it is through faith. It is being united to Christ. This is what um, saves you. This is what your path involves. Um, I don't want to take a rabbit trail here, but I'm going to, okay? Just, just a minute, please, um, if you'll allow me. There is a doctrinal nugget here that's worth mentioning, and it's, and it's completely separate from the rest of what I need to say, but I have to say it because it's in the text, okay? So um, we're Baptist church, right? Does everyone know we're a Baptist church? Yeah. You know, okay. That means we believe that baptism is for those who have faith, Right? We believe in believer baptism. But there are some friends, and maybe even some of you here, who come from denominations previously that believed in infant baptism. Have you heard of that? Baptizing infants, babies, before they have faith. And you may be wondering, well, where do they get that from? Actually, verses 11 and 12, what we just read, is one of the, re one of the verses that those denominations use to justify infant baptism, right? Because you can see here, in verse 11, he talked about circumcision, right? Which is done on who? Infants. And in verse 12, he's talking about baptism, right? And so what some people have thought is that what Paul is suggesting is since we circumcise infants before they have faith in the Old Covenant, then in the New Covenant, we can, we can baptize babies of believers before they have faith. Does that make sense? Okay? So there is some, there is some, uh, some justification and some rationale that they see in this text. But, and this is for another day. Okay? I'm not going to go into it today. I just want to give you a, a short answer, and then I'm going to direct you to Brother Bruno, our elder, who's going to tackle all the tougher questions. Okay? That's what he's going to do. Uh, <laughs> um, nowhere in the New Testament are we commanded to baptize infants. There is no explicit reference to the baptism of an infant in the New Testament. There's no explicit reference. And third, and probably most importantly, if baptism is a sign of you belonging to the household of faith, how can we baptize those who don't have faith? Right? How can we do that? And, and, and I'm not going to make this like, a, like an essential, it's not an essential, essential issue, okay, because believers can differ on this, and the, but it's not a minor issue either. You know why? Because when we baptize a baby, when they grow up and they start living a life that is in complete rebellion against God, in their minds, they still think they're okay. You know why? Because they say, I got baptized. I'm okay with God. I was baptized as a baby. That's a false assurance that we shouldn't risk giving to people. And so I'm going to stop there. Like I said, um, Brother Bruno will answer all your further questions. <laughs> so rituals cannot save you. So Paul is clear, clearing the road here, okay? And it brings us to our second obstacle, which is this. You cannot save you, okay? And you heard me right, okay? You cannot save you. Look at verse 13 in your text. Verse, verse 13 uh, will come up on the screen. It says this, and you, Paul says to the Colossians, who were dead in your trespasses. 
and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. You and I were what? Dead. You know, um, several times a year, when I'm on call for my family practice, um, I've gotten this page, late night page, from a family of a deceased or, 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 a, or a patient that's died, okay, in the home, passed away in the home. And so we get ready, and the resident who's on call with me will also join us, and we'll go to the house. And as we enter the house, we, we give our condolences to the family as we're entering, and then we proceed to where the body of the deceased is, right, where the, where the, where the person is lying. And before we pronounce them as dead, before we document, you know, time of death, or before we even sign the, the death certificate um, so that the funeral home can come and collect the body, before all of that, we are expected, respectfully, to do some simple physical examinations. Okay? Why? To confirm that the person is really dead. So I want to give you a picture of this. So what, what we'll, we'll walk in, we observe the body, we see that the chest is not rising, which, right? Because they're not breathing. So the chest is not rising. We shine a light in their eyes, and we see that the pupils are not responding anymore. The pupils are not dilating or constricting. They're just um, uh, neutral. We check their pulse, but all we find is a cold, cold, clammy skin because the blood flow has ceased. We gently perform what's called a sternal rub. And some of you guys know it because you're in healthcare, but we firmly push on this sternum bone. And if I did it to you now, it would really hurt. But if you do it to someone who is truly dead, there's no response. There's no sensation. We then take our stethoscopes and we listen for the heart. And we find complete, what? Silence. For the heart no longer beats. There is no movement. There is no response. There is no life. There is nothing this body can do. Nothing. And sometimes I think that we don't understand what the Bible means when it says that we were dead. Because this is what it means to be dead. You had no life. You couldn't see. You couldn't move. You couldn't respond. Even if the greatest stimulus was pushed on you, you wouldn't respond because you're dead. And a dead person cannot become undead. They can't do it. They're dead. How foolish is it then, church, for you and I to think, and maybe you think this way, and, and certainly I have thought this way, that we can bring ourselves to life. How foolish is that? Hmm? How foolish to think that you could somehow save yourself, that you could change and become someone who is not who you are. Can a dead person do that? No. It's foolishness. It doesn't matter how much self-determination you have, how many self-help books you've read. It doesn't matter. Because the dead cannot become undead. This is the utterly hopeless, helpless state that we were in, church. Do you realize that? Now, today we're all sitting here, we, we look like Christians, and most of us are truly Christians. But do you realize that you were dead? How you got here? It wasn't because of you, what you mustered up. You, didn't have, you were dead. It took God intervening. For you to have life. God, look at 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. Paul tells us in another, another place, 
Our adversary, the devil, had blinded our minds. You couldn't even see. That's what he's saying. You couldn't even see the light of the gospel. You couldn't see Christ. Your pupils were not responding because you were dead. And this is the state many are still in today. And he, and, he, and he goes on, he says, you're not just dead in your sins. Look at verse 13, look what he says. He says, um, you were dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh. You see that? So what does that mean, right? What does that mean, uncircumcision? So what he's saying is, you know the Colossian church was mainly comprised of non-Jews, right? Gentiles, right? They're non-Jews. So actually non-Jews were called the uncircumcision, right? The Jews were circumcision. So... So at least the Jews were part of the covenant community of God, right? At least they had that for, going for them. But what about Gentiles like you and I, right? Most of us, or if not all of us, are not of Jewish ancestry. What about us? We're Gentiles. I want you to realize who we are. Ephesians 2, 11 to 12, this was you and me. We were, at, one, at that time, you Gentiles, um, uh, verse, uh, sorry, verse 12, brother, this was you, following the course of the world, separated from Jesus Christ. Okay, personalize this. This is you. Um, uh, strangers to the covenants of God, alienated from the people of God, without God in this world, hopeless. Hopeless. This is what it means when he says dead in the uncircumcised. This is what it means. You were dead and Hopeless. This is why you could never save you. You could never have saved you. And if you think you can this morning, and even if it's subtle, even if today you're already a Christian, but you still think, I can do things, I can... No, no, no. You need Jesus Christ. If not for Christ, you would still be dead. You would still be blind. We need Christ. And if you have a false notion about yourself, we need to cut down that tree. We need to clear the way. Because it was God who made you alive when you were dead. God intervened to do that. Isn't that humbling, church? Isn't that humbling? When you look at, when you look at your life and you realize, I couldn't do any of this. Why should you be standing here or sitting here, you know, enjoying the benefits of being a Christian? Why? There's nothing good in you. You couldn't even respond to God. It was God who did it. It changes how we worship, doesn't it? changes how you worship. Let's pick things up. He brings us back to the road because it was alive together with Christ. Look at verse 13. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. So now Paul is painting the, the, the picture of that road, okay? What? Now he's contrasting, okay, rituals and then your self-will, self-determination, and now he's showing us the road clearly. What Christ has done, having forgiven us all our trespasses, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against you with all its legal demands. Do you see how much better the way of Christ is? Do you see that? How much more superior the way of Christ is to rituals like circumcision or baptism or even your own self-willed determination. How much better is the way of Christ? This is a way of grace, isn't it? What you're reading here, this is mercy. This is freedom. 
That, that, that's, what, that's what Christ has given us. It's a path of mercy and grace and freedom. Think about what Paul is saying. All your trespasses. A trespass is every time you have breached God's holy standard. That's what a trespass is. Every time you breached God's holy standard, what has God done? Forgiven you. He's forgiven you. Let that sink in. And look at this. He says he cancels the record. In the Greek, it means he erases your record. You want a clean record? This is how it comes. Through the way of Christ, he cancels your record, wipes it out, blots it clean. And yet there are some of us here that have an attitude. We have an attitude that I can get to God through following the rules. Do you have that attitude? Even a little bit? That, that by doing things, God is going to love you more? Do you have that? Do you think you're better than someone else because you follow the, follow the rules better than them? Some of you are saying to me, I, I can do it. I'll stay out of jail. I'll be a law-abiding citizen. I can do it. And this is the third obstacle in our text. The law cannot save you. That's what I said earlier. The law cannot save you. And in order for us to remove this rock, okay, that's in the way... Um, I want you to understand this word that he uses. He, see, see in verse 14, he says, the record of debt, okay? Now, for you and I, you may not, that may not mean anything to you, but, but that's actually a term in first century Rome. It was a certificate, okay? It was like a sheet of paper that you wrote all the things you owed to someone else. All your debts you would write on a piece of papyrus or paper for us, and that would be your record of debt, your certificate of debt. Okay? It was a real thing. And it wasn't written by someone else who's accusing you of, you wrote it. It was a self-acknowledgement of all the things you owed. And if you were unable to pay your debts, that record stood against you. Right? Like if someone came to collect their debt and you said, oh, sorry, I can't pay you. They say, look at your certificate of debt. Look at the record. And you look at the record and there it is. Yeah, you do owe them. Now, I want to ask you, this is very personal, what is your record of debt against God? What is your record of debt, the list of all your trespasses and sins against God, okay? What is the list of all the laws and decrees that you have broken? Okay, and, and, and some of them you've broken again and again and again, right? So this one says this times 30. This one says this times 18, whatever. What is that record? I want to do a mental activity with you right now, okay? Because I don't want to make this, I want to make this as, as much relevant to you as possible. Whether you're at home or here in the sanctuary, you don't have to take a piece of paper and do it, but even if you can do it here, a mental list, I want you to begin with today, today, right now. The sins you committed today. Okay, so begin writing. In your mind, I want you to start with the sins you did today, and then I want you to work back to this, to this week. Okay, the things that jump out at you, the, thing, the time when you lashed out, the time when you sinned um, sexually, the time that you did this and that, or you spoke in a way you shouldn't have spoken, or you did something no one else knows about, secret. I want you to start writing them, writing them out. And then I want you to go back in the history books and I want you to remember that time you sinned that brings you so much shame that you don't even want to remember it. Okay? I want you to feel uncomfortable, not because I, 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 because I love you and I love what God is saying to us here, that 
Remember the time that brings you so much shame. That sin that you wish no one knew about you. It's so disgusting. It's despicable, but, but, but it's on your record. It's not on anyone, anyone else's. It's on your record. And then I want you to search the crevices of your conscience. I want you to, to write down every word, deed, act, every thought, every time you went against your conscience. You went against your conscience, which is God's witness in your life. And after you've done all that, I want to ask you a question. How heavy is the backpack now? How heavy is it? Do you, do you feel like you're bending under the weight of this thing that you, how are you going to reach? How are you, you going to get there? How are you going to get to God carrying this backpack? Do you realize that as your list is getting longer and longer and longer, you're actually getting further and further and further away from a sinless God? Because you're, you're becoming more and more aware of your own sinfulness. He's sinless. He's holy. This distance is becoming further and further. And not only that, you're walking slower. You know why you're walking slower in this pathway to God? Because of the guilt that's pulling you back. You're trying to walk this way, but there's guilt that's pulling you back. The guilt of your shame. The guilt of your sin. And yet... As verse 14 ends, see what Paul says. Having cleared the clutter of rituals and determination, self-determination and, and the law, look what he says. He shows us the unhindered and clear view of Jesus Christ. Again, look at this. He says, this record that I just made you think about, that record of debt, your record of debt, this record God set aside, nailing it to the cross nailing it to the cross of Jesus Christ. How can God erase your debt? You have to ask the question, right? Look at your record of debt. We just went through the whole exercise. It's huge. It's volumes upon volumes of pages of, and pages of, of the sins and the laws you've broken. It's, how can God just erase it? Well, he does erase it, but actually, what is he doing? He's transferring it. You see that? He's not putting it under the rug. He's transferring it. From your head, he's moving it to the head of his own son, Jesus Christ, who is now going to be punished and executed as if your debts are his debts. Just let that sink in. Jesus is being punished and executed on a cross because your debts not because of his own, but he's taking your debts as his own. It's a doctrine that theologians call the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. It's a big word. It's a big term. But it means something very basic and very important. It means Jesus dying as your substitute. That's what it means. Jesus dying in your place. Where you should have been Jesus hangs, transferring all the legal demands, the wages of your sin, as our brother Keith shared during the worship time. The wages of your sin, which is death. Jesus was hanging on a cross. And you know, in Roman times, when they put you on a cross, they actually displayed the crime you committed. Right? 
Remember for Jesus, what was, what was displayed? King of the Jews, right? It was a mocking term, but in a, in, in a Roman crucifixion, they would display the crime on the cross. And do you know what? When you look closely at the cross of Christ, what is hanging there? Your record of debt. The things you did. The shameful things you, you, can't, even, you can't even bear to remember. Those are hanging on the cross on top of the innocent, righteous Son of God. Substitutionary atonement. But what's more? Look at verse 15. That's, that's not all. Look at verse 15. Our last verse. Paul tells us, in that cross, okay? Sometimes we just think of the cross, okay, that's the Good Friday moment, and, you know, that's, that's great, and we celebrate it. But sometimes we don't understand what happened at the cross. What really happened, okay? In the, in the cosmos, here's what happened. God disarmed the rulers and authorities. Do you know who he's referring to? It's not earthly He's referring to the devil, to our enemy. He's referring to demons, the forces of evil. God disarmed them and put them to open shame, which means disgraced them publicly by triumphing over them in Christ. I want you to get this image, one more image, okay, from first century Rome, because I, I didn't know it until I studied this. Um, this is a reference that you and I may not catch right away. In first century Rome, when a military general returned from war after they had been victorious, they had defeated the enemy, when they returned, it was customary in the city to have a parade, okay? Like, like, like a celebration parade in the streets of Rome. And so the general would come in his chariot and people would be lined on either side of the street and they would be cheering. It's a parade. And then after you see the chariot, you see a long string of enemy soldiers who were captured, the soldiers who were conquered. They're in chains, they're walking slowly, right? And they're headed to their final judgment. Now, I just want you to imagine, that's the scene, I want you to imagine you're a person in the, in the city, Okay? You got a first front row seat. You're, you're, you're in, you're, you got a good. You came early. <laughs> you got a good seat. You're watching the parade. Okay, you're cheering. And then when you see those enemy soldiers, what goes through your mind? Okay, just picture this. These are the soldiers at one time who struck great fear into your heart, right? If you're a citizen of Rome, this enemy soldier was going to come and capture you, right? He was going to enslave you, or worse, he was going to kill you and kill your loved ones. That's what enemy soldiers do. And now, you're looking at this soldier, and actually, this is the same soldier that brought fear into your heart before, but now you look at him, he's disarmed. He, he doesn't have his weapon on him, it's been taken. He looks powerless. He's weak. He, he, he's tied up. He's defeated. He's defeated and, and he's exposed. Church, this is what Christ has done for us. This is what Paul is saying. This is what Jesus has done for you. Our enemy who used to bring accusation after accusation. And maybe today you're, you're, you're sitting here and you're thinking, I still feel the accusations. Every time I sin, even though I'm in Christ, I feel condemned. 
I feel like the enemy is telling me, look at you, look at you. You think God can love you? You think God's going to forgive you after what you've done? The sin that you've done? You're not, you're not inheriting life. You're a slave to sin. This is who you are. You see, the enemy has been trying to accuse and deceive us since the beginning. But when Jesus died on the cross, with your record of debt hanging, hanging on, his, on, on the crucifix, he disarmed the devil. All those threats the devil used to have against you, all his accusations have now suddenly become empty, right? Because Jesus is exposing the devil for the liar that he is. He's exposing him. He's, he's, this is the shame. Look, he's a liar. He lied to you. He tried to deceive you, but don't be intimidated by him anymore because he used to have the power over death, but he doesn't have the power over death anymore. He doesn't have it. For Christ has triumphed. There's no reason to fear if you are united to Christ. If you are united to this triumphant road. So as I conclude, we return to where we began. The path to God proceeds through one road, Jesus Christ. And today you may be looking at your life and looking at your path and realizing there are many, many, many obstacles you have placed or others have placed along the way, right? Things that are tripping you up or making you feel like this walk is exhausting. I'm too tired. How can I do this? I'm weighed down. My backpack is so heavy. And so what I'm saying to you this morning is clear the path. The rituals, your, your, your self-will, your attitude that thinks, you know, I can change my behavior and, and, and do what, 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 what the law says. Get rid of all of that. Clear the way and return to the only secure path, which is Jesus Christ. That's to, that's to the church. And just one comment to the unbelievers. My friends who are listening or those of you here who have not united yourself to Christ, there's a psalm I want to I show you. It's Psalm um, 130, verses 3 to 4. Um, hopefully uh, we can bring it up on the screen. One, psalm 130, verses 3 to 4. Here's what it says. If you, O Lord, this is what I want you to think about. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? I shouldn't stand. I can't stand. I can't stand before God. If God were to take my record of debt and really mark all those things down. And then the next verse, verse 4. But with you, there is forgiveness. With you, there is forgiveness. All your trespasses can be forgiven. I'm not just being a cheap salesman. I'm telling you the truth that's found here. All your trespasses can be forgiven. Your record of debt that brought you so much guilt and shame and, and made you feel so tired and weighed down can be erased. It can be cleared and nailed to the cross if you would repent and believe in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead, you can be united to Christ 
and all the accusations and doubt and guilt you've been carrying your whole life, be real, your whole life, all of that can be released. As you stand on the street of this parade and you rejoice in the victory that Christ has won, the life you have in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come as we close. And maybe we can all stand. With God, there is forgiveness. With God, there is forgiveness in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time we had to just to dig deep into these four verses in Paul's letter to the Colossians. We know he is speaking to believers. So we are not to just dismiss what he's saying. There is an application for each one of us. And so God, if we have falsely believed that rituals or self-will or um, the law can save us, forgive us. Forgive us. We're only making that record of debt longer and longer. Help us to clear away the hurdles, clear away the clutter, and return to the simple, clear, unhindered path that you have laid for us, which is in Christ. In Christ, all I have is Christ. And if anyone doesn't know you, God, this morning, here in the sanctuary, those watching from home, I pray that by faith they too would unite themselves to Christ and rejoice that the enemy has been defeated and they have life in your son. We thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.